0: Welcome to the Psych NPcast, a podcast made specifically for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. You're about to enjoy, be educated, and entertained about your profession. Just remember, folks, the views you hear on this show are those of our amazing guests. Always validate what you do through your best practice
1: guidelines and patient care standards. Now, let's get to the show. Let's get to the show indeed. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Psych NPcast. I'm your host, Ed Stern, and my pronouns are he, him, his. I want to thank all of our listeners for their comments and encouragement. This show is produced with a desire to help our community learn and grow. It's always nice to hear from the audience that we're picking topics that are of interest to all of you. You can help us continue... By helping us find new guests. If you want to be a guest or you know someone who would be an exceptional guest, check out our website at psychnpcast.com or email me directly at psychnpcast at gmail.com. Before we start this episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a story with you. I identify as a queer cis man. I came from being very much in the closet to being really out of the closet in no time at all on a national radio show. My life story has been openly shared on other podcasts and different venues, so even some of my patients know about me before I see them, and I'm okay with that, but what I'm not okay with is that I've met some of our peers that need information on working with the LGBTQ community and have no resources. Honestly, what I'm even more bothered by is the hate or indifference, thankfully rare, that I've seen from within our own psychmp community about members of the LGBTQ community. I've seen this a few times, thankfully only a few. The most recent was at the university that I attend where a student posted hateful speech about trans youth and trans affirming care and the school frankly failed to respond. It's a long and complicated story, but it was very disheartening. But it truly brought to light the fact that no matter where we are in a journey of our psych MP career, we have an opportunity to continue to learn. We have to do better at this kind of learning. So what I've done is I've gathered some experts on trans care and the LGBTQ community as a whole. Over the course of a few episodes, You're going to have the opportunity to learn from queer experts, people with actual lived experiences. We're going to provide science while we humanize it. To those of you that already know about the trans and queer affirming care that we're supposed to be providing, I hope you listen and pick up some new things or email me some other topics that we can cover. For those of you seeking knowledge, I hope to offer it. For those of you who are offended or feel that the LGBT community doesn't need affirming care from us, I encourage you to read the American Nursing Association Code of Ethics and take some time to listen to the show. You might learn a bit, and if you don't, well, that's your choice too. You can send those patients to the rest of us. Okay, enough about my rant. Let's talk about this episode. In this episode, I chat with Dara Hoffman Fox. They are a trans-affirming therapist, an author, and an educator. We're going to talk about the non-binary community and how they fit into the transgender, gender non-conforming aspects of the overall LGBT community. We're gonna spend some time talking about proper pronoun use, how to chart it, and so much more. You know what? Let's just go to the show and I'll let Dara explain.
0: Thanks, Ed. My name is Dara Hoffman Fox. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I am a licensed professional counselor in Colorado, and I do have my own private practice, which I've had since about 2008. And so I would say a large majority of the clients I see are either gender questioning, um, are transgender or non-binary. And this developed over time, which we can, or, or, can't get into. But um, it is it's an interesting story, (laughs) which involves my own, my own gender identity quest throughout the process of that as well. But um, what I do outside of the four offices, uh, four walls of my office is I also have made educating others about what it means to be trans and non-binary a very big priority. Uh, I would even say it's a life purpose, um, as well as helping people figure out more about themselves when it comes to their gender identity.
1: That's great. So you brought up the topic. Let me let me ask, are you comfortable in sharing a little bit about your own gender identity quest and how kind of give the audience a little bit of an understanding of some of that background?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did tease it. So I, I will go ahead and <laughs> allow it.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: when I started my private practice in 2008, I did know at least that I wasn't straight. That's something that when I was 30, mm-hmm. I figured that out by then. Um, the gender part, I did not have really any idea about cause it turns out I'm non-binary and that's something that was still not really talked about, not really, mm, in terms of having verbiage and discussion around mm-hmm. it. And so I did have a few clients who were non-binary. They were all teenagers, though. So I don't think I saw myself in them. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, the the teenagers, they, they have this stuff figured out. That's pretty cool. Um,
1: <laughs> right. So right. then
0: uh, in 2014, I went to a conference and there was – a workshop about non binary identity. So when I went to it, I was like, Oh, that that, I should get that figured out, you know, because I'm a therapist, and I need to make sure I work with these non binary folks. And so I got in this workshop. And the first question they asked, which is kind of a strange question is, "All right, everybody go around the room and tell us if you're cisgender or transgender. And cisgender means that you aren't, you you do align with your gender assigned at birth. So you're not transgender. And, um, I just suddenly panicked and I realized I wasn't sure how I wanted to answer that question. Like just the mm-hmm. question of are you cisgender? Do you align with your gender assigned at birth? Um it, it was just the strangest thing. I just suddenly was like, wait, nobody's actually ever asked me that. And so I had that sort of um, moment of realizing I have some more things to figure out here. And over the next several years, it was just slowly putting some pieces together and realizing that yes, non binary is how I feel. Once you realize you're non binary, there's so many um, options, which is kind of cool. And sometimes overwhelming in terms of what what flavor of non binary am I? Um, What do I do about the pronoun situation? You know, what do I do about all the things? Um, And so that still is a work in progress. So I would say that's now going on seven years of first figuring these things out. And I wrote a book during that time to help people figure out their gender identity or to get as close to it as they can. And I definitely was able to get some pretty good help through the writing of that book for myself in terms of figuring things out as well.
1: Well, and I do want to spend some time, I think we're going to close talking about the book because it's important that I think our audience understands the book and, and perhaps inclu- incorporates it into their library. Talking about the non-binary and our, our younger patient population really gets it. And everybody gets it in a very different way. And they define it in so many different ways. And I think that's beautiful. And if you go back your seven years, it, our knowledge and understanding as a as a behavioral health community was, was not as strong a, as it is now. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I had a very interesting conversation with somebody the other day. We got deep into the whole kind of philosophical aspects of gender dysphoria and how gender dysphoria is defined by the DSM and how it really doesn't, you know, there's so many things wrong with it. We could have like, you know, a dozen okay. shows <laughs> about that. But, you know, just the challenge, I think, that everybody faces. It's, I mean, that's it's just it's interesting. And I applaud you for coming to that revelation at a point where kind of smacked in the face with, wait, what? Everybody in you know everybody in their developmental life probably has something that that they that they get hit with. I know for me as a cis queer man, one day I got smacked so much that it was like, wait, I'm actually I am comfortable with the term queer, mm-hmm. you know. And that took me, you know, that took me <laughs> the majority of my life to get there. So, so now as a non-binary person with they them their pronouns can can you sort of help the audience understand the difference between the gen- transgender community and the non-binary community?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of that um, you made an important reference to earlier is that those of us who are, I guess at this point we would say older in terms of what we've, what we've figured out and when we figured See it me. out, <laughs> 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 we are wise elders um, in this. There's, Um, it's important to note that, yeah, there's people, the people who are younger are going to have different experience than those of us who are older. Like we've gone through repression and having to then recognize that there's been repression. And so that's going to show up differently in terms of the, the patients, you know, Mm -hmm. that you see in terms of saying like, wait, this person of this age, this, and this person, this age, this, and this one seems still confused. Why are they confused? And it's because we didn't have the internet for one. (laughs) And so, Right.
1: right. (laughs) You know, it's being, like the medias. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. That's where we're going to look all this stuff up. And so, um, you know, for sure that's something that, you know, that's why if somebody was like, why did it take you so long to figure out? I'm like, cause nothing was out there. Like, so I was 40, but that's just because finally it was starting to be talked about. Um, so that being said there, that is a one important distinction is that in terms of everything, it's been starting to be talked about, especially maybe on, um, know like in the media and more known is the transgender experience of being binary so ah i was assigned female at birth so so basically when you are um born and sometimes before you're born people look at your genitals and they say i know what gender you are male or female and they just go ahead and assign that gender so that's Mm -hmm. when you hear me say it's for your audience when you hear me say assigned male at birth assigned female at birth you'll know what i'm talking about that it turns out for those who feel that their gender is, I guess, quote unquote, the opposite of what they were assigned at birth. That's sort of the known experience like Caitlyn Jenner, Laverne Cox, like, you know, we hear about Mm -hmm. Chaz Bono. Oh, we've heard about this for quite a few years now where it's like a person was told they're one gender. It turns out they're, they're the other gender. And then non-binary is just kind of this quiet little thing behind the scenes that wasn't really talked about. And so being non-binary is the sense of, um, and there's a lot of different ways you can describe it, but pretty much exclusively male or exclusively female just doesn't fit in terms of having a gender, a sense of one's gender. Um, And the best way that I can explain it, because, you know, it is even hard for me to describe because I don't, you know, do I, do I even feel like I have a gender? And if so, what is it? I say my gender is Dara. That's really the best way I can describe it. But I do know that if I'm mistaken for female, or mistaken for male, neither of those feel right. You know, that way, that means if somebody says, um, ma'am, or sir, or if some, if there's two bathrooms that I choose from, the women's or the men's, like all of those binary choices that I encounter throughout the day, just I'm like, yeah, not me. And sometimes it's almost like, what is it that feels wrong, is really what's most mm-hmm. telling, after all. Um And so in that sense, a lot of times the word trans has been used more often as an umbrella term in which people who are binary can fit under it and people who are non-binary can fit under it. It just means basically you don't feel aligned with your gender assigned at birth. Nowadays, and it's tricky just so you know, you know, of course, the terminology changes a lot. So keep up with it if you can. But when somebody uses the word transgender, a lot of times nowadays, people are saying that is more so specifically, if somebody is going to be using, going through some pretty big steps in terms of medical transition, social transition, legal transition to be able to get everything proper. Um, And so in that case, that would be something where it's almost like the, word, the way the word transsexual used to be used. You know, we don't use that word anymore. But the word transgender has now kind of taken over, I've noticed, in that respect. And so, you know, younger younger folks, younger individuals tend to just use the word trans or they'll describe their specific gender identity. But the word transgender, um, you know, and again, I hope I'm not muddying up the waters, but it is, it is more often used when somebody is transitioning in a medical sense or um, a lot of times I I haven't heard a lot of non-binary people use the word transgender to describe themselves. It is more of maybe the trans, the shortened transgender word trans umbrella that they feel aligned
1: with. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. I think I always find myself saying that the lexicon is a, is a moving target when, when we're dealing with a lot of the quote unquote newer Newer terms and terminology when we look at, especially when we look within the LGBTQ umbrella as a whole, lots of changing lexicon. Uh, and so, I've said this before on other shows, but you know, we've got uh, like the when the Trevor Project does their annual youth mental health report, the terms, you know, more than one hundred terms of the forty thousand people, you know, youth that they surveyed, more than hundred terms for for gender were used and how those individuals uh, have used it. So I think we're dealing with some regional colloquialisms, we're dealing with so many other things. And I think when we look at the terminology, it's best really just to, how do you identify and thank you and then incorporate that into our care and move on. I advocate all the time for, you know, these are these are places on our intake forms that should be blank lines, opposed to fill in the box. Mm-hmm because we have so many things and we get even more confusing because there's non-binary and gender non-conforming. And are they the same? Are they different? Are they close? Are they not? I mean, that alone can complicate a conversation.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: Let me ask you in your mind, from your, from your perspective of your patient population and your, and your life experience, do you see non-binary and gender non-conforming as the same?
0: Mm. non binary in gender non conforming. Um, I know, for instance, for myself, I don't connect with the term gender non conforming. Uh, You know, it's used so often that it's even abbreviated GNC a lot of times. So something about that, to me, feels like it indicates that perhaps I'm well, I'm being non conforming. And I'm, I'm not I'm just non binary. I'm not trying to be mm, rebellious or make a statement or anything like that when it comes to like i don't conform you know the including the word for this is just from me specifically mm-hmm. um to me that you know i'm like i don't think that's you know relevant or not i just want to tell you that this is my gender please don't call me female please don't call me male i know for a lot of people who use gender non-conforming they do like something about that it does feel like it's really important that they let people know like i you know i'm not conforming to the binary standards of the system you know they they have a different sort of it, it it matches their identity a bit more so i would say there's definitely a difference some people will use both to describe themselves and others will be um using them separately so yeah
1: yeah i think that's a fascinating way to look at it and i think the thing i heard you say was to me, and I think that's that's so much the key of everything is you know to me this is the gender I identify with or, or choose not to identify. This is the terminology that I choose to use about my gender, my sexuality. You know the, these are my words that I prefer. Very much the same as anything else in in modern society, where the individual has the opportunity to choose the vocabulary that describes them.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, right. You know, we, we as professionals may be more comfortable with, you know, in your case, you know, you might be more comfortable with, with a phrase in, in our, you know, in the case of a psychiatric nurse practitioner, we might be, some of us might be comfortable with the phrase psych NP. Some of us might be more comfortable with the phrase advanced practice nurse of psychiatry. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's about the personal thing. And that's what Probably causes a degree of confusion, especially for those of us that 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 have grown up in such a linear or binary world, um, and how how we move forward and become more accepting and open with our patients. Mm-hmm. And that actually brings me to the next logical question, which of course is you know so. If there's one thing to just be nonjudgmental, right? And go, oh, okay, right. But why is it why is it more important? Than just saying oh okay, and then we truly start having an understanding and a comprehension of of the community.
0: Sure, yeah. The and you know don't get me wrong. It's it's great if you could be nonjudgmental about it and to, to convey <laughs> right. that nonjudgmental huge foundation <laughs> to work off <on> right there. <laughs> Let's right? Start there. They can tell yeah. that you're going to be cool, but that's great. But that's like very. That's the the beginning as the baseline to start from. Um, Because once you're actually like getting to know a patient and trying to help them, you have to, like, you have to keep that in mind, you have to know, at least somewhat about like, what does this mean? About this patient, the fact that they're sharing this with me, and like you just said, that's gonna take probably some time to say to that individual, you know, I would like to hear in your own words to tell me more about that. So I can understand, Um, how does this impact, especially in, in the case of your profession, you know, um, you medically and psychiatric, like, what is it that would be important for me to know about you? You're not asking the patient to educate you. You're saying, okay, there's going to be specific things for you that I want to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding. And, um, you know, you're not going to want to accidentally use, you know, for instance, the wrong, um, gendered terminology with a patient who has let you know, even though you may see me this way, this is not what my gender is, this is my biology, this is not what my gender is, you know, to have to continuously remind the practitioner, like, wait, nope, you got it wrong again. Nope, actually, that's not me. Or what has, what have you not asked that that patient is needing you to ask them about it. So you do need to have that ba- uh, more of a knowledge of what it means for the trans experience or the non-binary experience. So you know what is it that I need to be sure I'm asking, and in what what ways do I need to be asking it, and what do I need to be looking for so that I can be sure to give like the most holistic care possible?
1: I like your word holistic because I think it's you know there's some important facts. when when we as psychiatric nurse practitioners, there are times we have to consider medical, aspects medical biological aspects so you know if we have somebody who is assigned female at birth and has physiologic female anatomical parts ovaries etc there are times if they identify as non-binary if they identify as male whatever whatever they are to the you know to to the world there are times that we do have to kind of In an awkward way, maybe we've got to run that urine pregnancy test and and, you know and other things like that. Um but other than that, right, when they come into the office, they are who they are. The pronouns are who who the pronouns are that they have identified. And you know, keeping those lines very straight and clear are important. One of the challenges that I have always faced when w- in working in in the community is the two times I have to use alternative names or dead names or however the individual calls their, their name given at birth are with insurance billing and, and prescribing. The rest of the time, I do everything that I possibly can to be affirming of their name, their pronouns, et cetera. How do you navigate that and 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 still be that affirming provider?
0: Yeah, we run into that, too, with electronic health records. Um, and it's like a very common topic in the different listservs and Facebook groups. I'm in with therapists where it's like, ah, why doesn't this EHR change their thing? So it doesn't, or what right. can we do so that we're going to be able to like, okay, if we can't get around this because of insurance and things like that, what can we do um, for those who, haven't legally changed their name yet, which, um, you know, it's a, it's a big process to have to change your name. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so sure, there's gonna be a lot of people who haven't yet. So um, yeah, and I don't, you know, I guess it depends on where you work and what's going on there. But if there is something that can be almost like an intervention that can happen at some point early on of saying, Hey, like, cause that's what, you know, I do with, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to send you this thing. You have to fill out just to let you know, I'm sorry. It asks you, for your name in this part and it asks you just for male female gender or whatever it is that I can mm-hmm. I know from going through the paperwork myself I'm like oh this is terrible you know I'm just to let you know this is this is the way it's set up I apologize it's not an oversight it's the way This is for right now here is a different place though, where I am going to ask you for your chosen name and for you to identify your gender identity in your own words. So that way they feel like, you know, it's like, here's this thing that really is out of my control, but here's what is in my control to let you know, I recognize this might be, um, you know, this might be painful when this comes up for you. You might not feel like I see or hear you or that our business or that our company doesn't see or hear you, but just let you know, I'm aware of it. So here's what we can do. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure you feel like you are being validated, you know, as who you are. Um, So that's one thing. And again, not sure how much, how much that would be possible to implement in your job.
1: Yeah. I think it depends, obviously, you know, if you're a sole sole practitioner or, you know, in a larger infrastructure where people at the front door are, are misnaming the individual when they come in to check in and, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many different parts. Um, but I think what, what I'm hearing is that it's, it's important that we get this right, not only from a respect of, of the patient, but just to respect Right. Karma at the very, you know, at the very <laughs> least. Um, but you know, so it's important to get these things right, but it, that the best thing that we can do as practitioners is identify when it's beyond our capacity to assure that it's right. Um, and do everything we can to, you know, to make the climate as, as welcoming, as welcome and open as, as possible.
0: Right. Yeah. Like in that circumstance, it might be something where they, see, you know, like you give them a, you're giving them a heads up, like, okay, so just so you know, when you get your prescription, this is what, you know, and they might already be like, yeah, yeah, it's happened to me before, but thank you. Thank you. You, I appreciate you actually saying something to me about it this time. Um, That is something where it's a bummer situation instead of it being like, Oh, you know, like they use, as you said, you know, they used my dead name. You know, does that mean they completely forgot that I already told them or what's going on here? It's like, no, you have not been forgotten. Um, This is like bureaucracy at its
1: finest. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Hopefully one day it'll catch up. Uh, Yeah. I know that for me that, that, you know, I work in two different EHRs and one is great. You know, there's a nickname field and uh, we've taken the practice of making sure that that nickname has, um, you know that so the legal names are are in the appropriate fields, but in the nickname includes their pronouns and their identified name. And what's great is is that you know it's always on the header. So whoever they're encountering, whether it's the practitioner, the front desk person, somebody on the phone, it's it's always there. And then the other one, it's it's there, but it's so buried, it's never on the header unless you're actually looking for it um i have found that with that other ehr in that in that one environment that i have to block the name i mean my my brain just doesn't always think and i'll like every once in a while i guess i'll have like a little brain fart and it's like who am i talking to but i'm and i'm seeing the name up there on the top header i just i've taken a post-it note right over right over the name on the screen and written in whatever mm-hmm. directly over um and That's a good idea. You know, Mm -hmm. but it works, and and it just—I know who they are. I when I'm staring directly at them, I know the name that I'm supposed to use. But I turn around and look at the screen, and for some reason, my brain just goes to this—the name that's on the screen—and you know, I I did that maybe twice in my career, and I realized like I felt like such a jerk that I was like, I got to find a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. it's just so it was either that or white out on the screen and uh,
0: it just,
1: it just doesn't work you might not like that <laughs> That's
0: right. well I How wonder cool. like if this would be helpful i I feel like what you're just describing is something that probably a lot of people encounter even you know myself you know, on my best days like you know something like that I, I've noticed at times where something almost happens like that and it doesn't matter I'm non-binary I'm trans but it doesn't mean that my brain you know especially because for decades, I grew up with a very binary brain. I didn't think about Mm -hmm, this kind of mm -hmm. thing at all, even if that was what was happening with me. And so um, being able to handle that situation, which, um, you know, we can call it a microaggression, you you know, they're almost always accidental, but just being able to then, you know, what to do with the client or or the patient in that moment. And definitely like the main thing to keep in mind is don't over-apologize um and also make sure you do acknowledge that the error or the very least, just correct yourself quickly um doing any sort of oh my gosh i'm so sorry like i didn't mean to do that here's what actually happened like it just kind of centers when i say yourself you know i mean the person who's caused Mm -hmm. the faux pas Mm -hmm. it centers your reaction and your emotion about it and then the other person who's already been misgendered or whatever happened is just kind of waiting and like okay like what like, do you want me to tell you it's okay, or you're fine? Or like, it just creates this awkward situation where the burden is then put on them to navigate the emotion. Um, So really, even if it's hard, because if inside, of course, you're just like, Oh, my gosh, like, you're upside suck, you know, or whatever it is, you know, outwardly, you know, just quickly correcting the name, quickly correcting the pronoun, and just continuing on, you know, you can kind of monitor and see, like, does the patient look like they've, shut down completely, they're not gonna be able to interact with you again. Then you can kind of stop and say like, hey, you know, I want to stop actually um and check in about what just happened. You know, so mm-hmm. so you could start with sort of the the quick turnaround and see how that goes. And then but if it looks like it's made a big impact, then certainly just use your 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 skills that you know you have to be able to navigate that situation yeah. or more, more with more compassion and and some clarity.
1: No, that's that's actually phenomenal advice. That's that's great. One of the things that, that we had talked about that you and I were, were going to discuss is sort of, you know, is it okay to be on a learning curve on uh, for this kind of stuff? And how do we incorporate our patient care into the learning curve? And I think, <clears throat> now tell me if, I, if, if you interpret this differently, but I think what I hear you saying is, is that while it's okay to make a mistake, it's not okay to use the patient as... The litmus test, as as the test subject,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in those situations, like every time something happens that is a mistake, um, like you said, you stopped and asked yourself, "What can I do to make sure this doesn't happen again?" You know, I need mm-hmm. to find a different way of approaching this. You know, that is find a way to take action. And you know, some of the things that might end up being a mistake could be having to take a look at one's assumptions about gender. Like it could go a little deeper, like, Oh wow. Like I saw that patient. I just assumed they were male. I just started this and that. And it turns out they're in the midst of transition or their gender questioning or whatever it is. And it's like, Ooh, like I probably need to do some work around that yeah. as well.
1: And it's highly possible that, that they may not trust you yet to, to start that conversation with you, you know, on, on those initial visits.
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah over time that trust could build up
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's unfortunate but there are certainly practitioners out there who either are completely non-affirming right you know i mean they don't get it they don't support it they they don't believe in it or that they have such a improper understanding of being trans or non-binary that these people have experienced that, you know, have had those bad experiences in the past. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And something that, you know, can be done um, to, let's say we're talking about a patient who maybe isn't sharing that, but Mm -hmm. you wanna let them know that you're, you would be comfortable hearing that and would wanna help is by, like at the beginning of the interview, when I said, hey, I'm Dara, I use they them pronouns. Um, You know, it's, it's a kind of a work in progress to try to get more people just to casually share their pronouns. And so, you know, if that's something that you can, your audience can start thinking about implementing is where you sit down with your patient and just, you know, if you haven't seen them before, you're like, hey, like, this is my name, these are my pronouns. And you don't have to ask, you know, they don't have to tell you their pronouns, you know, they might, they might not know what you're talking about, or they could be like, but you know, for those who it matters to, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I at least know for future notice, I can tell this person what's going on, because they know what it means to share your pronouns, like, that's just this almost like little, um, you know, it's like a little way of tossing out like ally, like, I'm an ally, like, or I get it, or you know whatever it is you're i'm creating a safe space for you if you need to share anything
1: yeah i think uh, i mean that's a that's a beautiful point i think um i mean i can think of some practitioners who might be in a part of this country where that might not go over as well and that's extremely unfortunate but i think you know right. We, we each have to figure out what's, what's best for us. And, 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 you know, and the kind of people, the kind of, kind of people, we want kind of people we want to be kind of person, <laughs> you know, we want to be and the kind of provider that we want to be. Um, and, you know, and understanding those things are, you know, are, are key. Um, I, I'm going to share an experience with you. Uh, I, I talk about this all the time very openly because, it was such a terrible experience for me but in my clinical rotations uh i was with a therapist who told me up front that he was very comfortable with you know with me being a cis male he didn't use those terms you know cis queer male he didn't he didn't call me that but you know he knew of my background um and uh And he says, we're very open and and supportive here. And I thought, okay, great. You know, this is phenomenal. Uh, There were quite a number of things that happened inappropriately um, with this practitioner. He went around introducing me as his queer intern um, to all of his gay and lesbian clients, which was odd. But the one thing that was kind of, I mean, that was about me personally, but he had a young trans man as one of his patients. But he continued to dead name and misgender that patient, and I finally f- kind of contemplated into my head. You know, the patient had expressed to me that I was the first in in that was a very conservative community. I was the first adult man to, or the first adult, to correctly gender him for an entire forty five minutes, and you know, and correctly name him, and and he was emotional about that. It, that's so sad and unfortunate at the same time, but finally had the conversation with the therapist about why he continued to use this individual's dead name and, and birth gender in all conversations. And he sees himself as an affirming practitioner. Maybe that's a lie and it's just what he likes to say, but maybe it isn't. But his logic was, that the trauma that occurred in that individual patient's life occurred when they were this other gender end up going by this other name. And therefore it was appropriate to treat them by that name and that other gender. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so far, so far off the base of anything that if he had opened up any article anywhere, um, but that was his interpretation and that was his, his approach to patient care right so if you have people out there who falsely identify as as affirming for the the trans lgbtq community and then you're going to provide this kind of patient care that example very firmly in my mind implants why Some people, no matter what kinds of signs you have up, you know, whether you're providing therapy under a rainbow flag or whether you have rainbow cookies in the lobby, I mean, it doesn't matter. You can still approach patient care the wrong way. And I think that that's why the community, you know, can be so pensive in what really, really should be the ultimate safe space.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right. Because that's something I feel like even recently someone asked me that, um, a therapist who I was doing consultation with, and they said, you know, oh, I'm doing EMDR, I'm doing trauma therapy, and I'm referring to this patient a lot when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And and it is sort of like a common beginner question, you know, like, so what gender do I refer to them as you know, when they're younger, and that, and it's so you know, to myself, I'm like, it's obvious, but it's not necessarily it is sometimes like, it's like, so like, for For myself, you know, the way I explain it is so I've always been non binary since the moment I came out of the womb. I just nobody knew it. I didn't know it. We didn't, you don't know until you can even just start talking and let people know here's my gender. But just imagine it like that like it doesn't matter that at some point I was like, I guess I'm a girl and I'm going about life doing that. You just, it's like, who have I always been? And that's whoever the client is telling you present day you know, this is who I am. This client was, you know, a man. And he's like, so yeah, that's what, when you refer to me, like you were going to refer to me when I was a young boy or, you know, you know, that's exactly what ne- it needs to be consistent. So just in case anybody out there had that, like, Oh no, I totally don't know what I, how would I handle that situation? Now, you know, like, okay, that's, it is something that people have ignorance around. And now, now, you know, better. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> right. Right. There's, right? There's your sign. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you, you, you said it more succinctly than I could have. And I think that that's, you know, that's the key. I have always used the term that I Popeye, I am what I am, right. You know, the old Popeye statement, it, it rings true for me today that, you know, you are what you are, you are what you always have been. And that, you know, and, and, and that applies too to clinical documentation, Again, right? We go back into that EHR wormhole that the EHR may force inappropriate pronouns into documentation, and you know, having that challenge with whoever your EHR administrator is might be a battle worth worth fighting, um, or you might have to manually edit or whatever. And being comfortable in using they them or other pronouns that patients are coming in with and knowing what those are and including it in the documentation. Because one day that patient might see the documentation. Having them understand that you truly get it and accept and affirm who they are, I think is just so amazingly important.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said.
1: We've used the term affirming a bunch of times here. So, you know, we talk about being gender affirming or... Sex-affirming, or you know, what, whatever other variants is used. Do you see a difference in saying that you are affirming versus maybe using other terminology like competent or confident?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, a lot of therapists ask this question too, so I think it's a really good one. So I, my point of reference is going to be more so from the therapy uh, or therapist counselor sort of perspective, but I think it can be applied. Um, there's a therapist, which I can give you the link for it. But, um, a colleague of mine, he created a page on his website. He he's a trans man who it's, um, called approaches to working with gender diversity and, and he started with unaffirming and then went into neutral, novice, friendly, affirming, and competent, and then lists what it is that could fit in to each category, you know, with bullet points.
1: Yeah. We'll include that on in the show notes. That'd be amazing.
0: Yeah, I think it it really is helpful. Um, I would assume anybody listening to this episode is not unaffirming because that means you're. Why would you listen to this episode out of curiosity?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, right.
0: So just even you know, even if you're like, oh, it looks like I'm just in the friendly category, like that's great. Like that, I started off in the friendly category. Like I myself, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I needed to be able to take time to learn and grow for these things. You know, competent. I think when we if we're we're going to use that word is something where potentially it maybe would be more of an area specialty. You know, it would be something where maybe in your office, everyone's like, okay, you know what, who's gonna be best at this is this person. Like, and it's okay, everybody doesn't have to, can't specialize in everything. And if it turns (laughs) out that this is something that you really care about, then it means having to do your own You know your own research and going to trainings and getting to know people who are trans and non-binary and really making it a part of your career making it a part of your personal life so that it just sort of like not only are you book learning it but you're also going to like really just start to like intuit everything that has to do with being able to help patients Um, and so there might be some other aspects of care that you're able to provide that other people can't and so that would be i would say one of the main differences between being affirming versus more so like a competency level
1: Yeah, and i think being open being open and accepting to the fact of learning new and that this is you know this is a changing and evolving community you know terminology is changing so much else is changing um and just because you're aware and affirming doesn't mean that you can't be, you know, you can't be more or, or in my case, personally, that, you know, that I, I, I basically learned I was wrong. I thought I was a very affirming person. Uh, you know, trans friends, I dated trans people. I, you know, I, I considered myself extremely aware and affirming, uh, until I went to the Philadelphia trans wellness conference and went. Wow, there is so much more I don't know, mm. and in my circle of friends, they are so much more um, accepting of my forbles <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. than you know sitting in a room full of a bunch of strangers. Um, you know, and as as a, as a cis man, queer or not, you know, I had to check my own lexicon, my own my own vocabulary. I I, I grew up as a New Yorker, is you know my phrase for a room full of people has always been you guys mm-hmm. started off as use guys but you mm-hmm. know at least i've gotten better with that but to be in a room full of you know being the only cis person in a room full of trans individuals and non-binary individuals and then to say okay you guys and and to see the glares um and i was like oh crap you know um i'm a man in his 50s and i have to change my vocabulary. And I made the choice to have to change it, right? I mean, that's obviously an individual's choice, but, um, you know, I think so. Constantly checking and and reaffirming your ability to be affirming is, you know, if if you're going to work in this community, you know, with with any degree of comfort, that that's that's just something you have to ask yourself because it's it's just it's you know, it's there, it's moving and you don't always necessarily know what you don't know.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's a great example of like really being able to pay attention and recognize cisgender privilege and just knowing like, you know, there are ways that one moves about the world without even thinking about, and it's also about binary privilege too, you know, just, um, and again, I, myself, until I was 40 thought I was cisgender and thought I was binary. And so there's a lot that I still can catch Mm -hmm. in my own brain where I am, you know, because I am 40 or at the time I was 40 and now I'm 47. I still have to be like, don't assume gender. Whoops. I just gendered that person in my head. I don't actually know that person's gender go back to using gender neutral language or they them pronouns until you know better. Like that is a practice that I still have to do all the time every day. And for people who are listening to this, if this is something you really decide you care about, um, you have to do it. You just have to do the work every day of recognizing, when is it I'm making assumptions about people's gender? What am I assuming, forgetting that there's an option besides male and female. And then like you said, there's just like, ah, like you just kind of start catching those, the genderedness of language, Happens so often and so all the time, but you have to be willing to do that work of first of all just even noticing it, and then taking actual steps to change it.
1: Yeah, and and it's amazing um, you know, you, how those that have not been on this planet as long as some of the rest of us. Let's not say all old, older and younger. It's, it's going to be my new my new catchphrase, yeah. right? Those have been who haven't been around quite as much. It's amazing watching a room full of younger individuals just accept it hi i'm whatever your name is my pronouns are and for a room full of people to go okay or for somebody who has come out as you know newly trans or newly non-binary as of today i'd like to go by and it's fascinating to watch a room full of young people just kind of change gears and you know and be good with it Mm -hmm. you know i i aspire to be that. I also aspire to be younger and have a more, (laughs) more agile, more agile life, but um, I'll, I'll settle for the intellectual aspect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is true. It's one of those things where we, we can see what time and practice has done to our minds. And like you said about the learning curve part earlier, it is a learning curve. It is going to take time, like I said, even for myself, but if you commit to that learning curve and pushing past it and pushing through it and figuring out. It is it is a lot of times it comes down to, um, especially the language part, just practicing, like catching it and practicing it. And you can't just do it when you're at work, seeing patients, oh, this one happens to be trans, let me be good about it right now. Like it has yeah. to become just a really, um, it has to be infused into your everyday life.
1: I, that's a key right there. I think that that's very, very true. Whether you're at Walmart or whether you're in the office, right? Being there, being comfortable with those kinds of things and, and exercising that gives you the ability to become more natural with it. That's a great Mm -hmm. point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've talked about us as practitioners and things like that. Are, are there some things that like, if I said to you, what are the top things that, that an office, a clinical environment should do to be more affirming? What, what are some of the things that you think are kind of like essential?
0: hmm There's kind of like you were saying, there's some things that sounds like potentially could be out of one's control, mm-hmm. um, or even an office out of their control. But, you know, even just starting with, let's, I assume, you know, there's a front desk and like, that is oftentimes where like the very first missteps happen before they even get around to seeing you behind the scenes. Um, so is there a way for people who are, you know, the first line of whoever a patient sees to make sure they're not using ma'am or sir. And, you know, in terms of like, how do you, you know, when somebody checks in, um, has there already been an opportunity to ask them about, like like you said, different parts of the country, maybe not so easy to do this, but in terms of what chosen name versus and pronouns and already have it filled out somehow beforehand. And when it's time to call somebody, To come to the back or whatever like instead of having to like can you just use their last name instead of their first name just in case it turns out they don't use that first name anymore so that's just even like the basics in terms of how it could be oh it'd be wonderful if people on their name tags could have their pronouns you know you know or or on your badges and things like that to have something like that there so you know once it's it comes down to actually being interacting with you Um, yeah, it's again, you know, is there an opportunity if you feel like you can do that to share pronouns and what kind of language is used as you start asking questions and figuring things out that you can recognize I'm leaving space just in case this person is trans or non-binary. Um, and that's something that can take time. It's just recognizing that gendered use of language and making assumptions about what a person's gender is. For me, you know, what I tell therapists is if as much as you can find out beforehand as possible is so helpful when it comes to paperwork. <laughs> and so that way when they come in, you already could be very like, true. Oh. And so I don't know again how likely that is for you, because that's tough when you're actually like, on the
1: environment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're like, I don't know anything. So I'm just gonna like, you know, ask ask the questions I usually ask, but just make sure that they recognize that this is um you know, a topic that can come up and if, when it does come up, you know, again, every person's going to be, they're probably nervous to share this with you. So definitely just letting them know, Oh, I'm so glad you shared that with me. And, and, you know, asking you know, in terms of like figuring out, how does this fit into the big picture that may take time, mm-hmm. you know, and practice to be able to work with more clients who are trans and non-binary to see, Oh, okay. This is a thing. I need to make sure I ask about hormone therapy or where they're at with this or all those different things you start recognizing, like, "Oops, that's something I didn't ask about before," yeah. but I will make sure I ask that next time. That's that's going to happen, but definitely keep track of that. And like you said, recognize, okay, I going to, I can do that better next time.
1: Yeah, great point. Right, I can do that better next time. Trying your best not to miss a gap. Trying trying your best to be, you know, to be aware, to be affirming. You know, if a patient, uh, if a patient comes out to you asking them whom else are you you know are are you out too right you know especially if it's a minor you know are your folks aware of this or are we just calling you this name here when we're in private but with your parents i need to you know to do to use your birth name patients who have identified for you as trans don't forget that you know for us in our medical history right we're we're asking questions but part of what we have to also do is determine what hormone replacement therapy are you on, and are you being consistent with it? Because obviously that throws throws everything off. And you know, taking it and, and slowly growing and building into you know building it into your routine of your practice. Those are those are great key points.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point about too, like making sure you don't accidentally out somebody who's a minor, you know, because they or have anybody. shared this yeah. with you, yeah, or anybody, you know, right. in case their spouse comes in or somebody <laughs> like that. Like, exactly. yeah. yeah, there's going to be that is. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that.
1: All right. Well, speaking of mentioning things, let's talk about your book. So talk to us about your book.
0: Yeah, sure. My book's called You and Your Gender Identity, A Guide to Discovery. And um, it is very much a workbook, And but it's a large workbook. And it um, goes through the process of having the reader. Um, so oftentimes when somebody, like anybody who even picks up the book, it's almost like, Okay, so I wonder if I'm not cisgender. Like, do I not assign, you know, align with my gender assigned at birth? Oh, this book looks interesting. And most people say, like, you know what? The fact that I even picked up this book, like, it means I'm questioning my gender. Like, people who mm-hmm. don't, you know, people who are cisgender don't question their gender. Like, they don't even know what that means. Like, what is it? What are you even talking about? And so this book is meant for those who that that feeling of not being sure comes up. And so, um, this book goes through, I guess it's very much how I would like a workbook to be about this kind of thing. And so it does, um, to me, I also really enjoy. I think it's, um, I use Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung sort of a lot of metaphor and analogy when it comes to it being a journey, mm-hmm. you know, which can be a little bit of cliche. But in terms of how do you prepare for this journey? Make sure you have enough support. How do you get support in your life? How do you. Um, face, you know, acknowledge that is going to be fear as a part of this and how to be able to manage it. Um, Because like we were talking about, it also depends on how old somebody is, depends on where they live. Like this could be a very, very scary unearthing process of the truth about their gender identity. And so it's not just like, wow, like this is really hard to figure out my gender. It's usually because there's tons of fear there. And so the book really gets into that part of being able to say, it's okay that you're scared about this. Here's some different ways we can try to navigate that fear. And then we explore... Um, I have them explore their childhood and different things that they had hints and clues about things. And then there's the exploration of gender and what can you do to try to do things that feel more affirming for yourself. And at the end, you kind of put it all together in this way of like, aha, here's everything I figured out. Do I want to give it a name? You know, mm-hmm. do I want to label it? Do I want to do something about this? Um, so it Really, just my hope is it takes you through that entire process and lands you someplace where you at least have more answers than we started off with.
1: Wow, that's great! I can see. I mean, certainly this is a great book that we can recommend, you know, to our patients. But certainly, as practitioners, if we kind of want to understand the path of self-discovery, just buying the book and. You know, looking at it and understanding what are the questions that, you know, that people are asking themselves. I mean, I could see that giving, giving a great deal of insight into the community as well. So can you share the title again with us and where people can find the book?
0: Sure. So you and your gender identity, a guide to discovery. Um, I would say my favorite way for you to get the book is directly from me, uh, which my website is, um, I can give it to you to put in the notes, but discover your gender And that's because um, I get the full proceeds of the book. Um, you can get it from Amazon, but you know, who gets that money. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, but you know, for those where it would be much more cost efficient to do it that way for those who are overseas and it's a lot of money to, to, to pay me to ship, you know, $40 for you to pay shipping for your book, Um, you can call your local bookstore and ask if they could just put it and get it in stock so you can get a hold Mm of it. Um, If you order the book through me, you get it signed. And then you also get a free copy of the PDF of it, which can be helpful um, for those who like to read things on their computers, or if you want to print out some of the worksheets and hand it to clients or hand it to people so that they can answer some of these questions for themselves, that's also uh, a pretty good option for that.
1: That's great. Okay, so one more time, the name of your website.
0: Yes, so for the book, it's discoveryourgenderidentity.com. I do have my own website, which is my name, Dara Hoffman Fox with no hyphen.com. And that's where you can find all the different interviews I've done like this. Um, I have links to a lot of my YouTube, um videos which I have heard are really helpful especially for those who are non-binary and it's just really neat like just how often I hear that I've had this channel for like six years now and it's still and I look so different when I started the video because I didn't know I was non-binary and I it's really in an interesting little you can watch my journey wow. um, unfolding there but um yeah there's all sorts of things it's my hub that that the DaraHopmanFox.com website to find okay. all sorts of things there. Well,
1: of course we'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. And that's obviously where our audience can find you and your book and everything else.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a couple of courses real quick. Yeah, please. I go. please.
1: Um,
0: one has to do with non-binary identities and one has to do with creating um affirmative environment and they are geared more towards therapists, but um, you can see those also on my website. Mm-hmm. And I would say if anybody out there if you are at an office or if you have the power like to have a trainer come in you know quote unquote come in because i can do it virtually where you think even just some good trans non-binary 101 lunch and learn would be helpful for you i definitely am available for that so i can give you my email address um for you to share in the notes so that if anybody wants to contact me about that too
1: that's great yeah i think uh, i've heard great things about your classes uh, great things about your book so absolutely we want to make sure that we share that with all of our audience thank you so much it's been great we've had a great conversation with you and uh, we'll continue the conversation a- again another time thank you mm-hmm. so much
0: i appreciate you having me on thank you ed
1: well that's it for this episode of psych Cast. we'll see you in our next episode don't forget to tell your friends and in whatever podcast system you're in don't forget to rate us that helps us get found by other Psych NPs. We'll see you next time.